Today's episode is brought to you by FRW Studios, a damn fine design studio as fresh and authentic as the beer you brew. FRW Studios has created killer can designs for dozens of brewers we love, including the Lost Abbey, the Hop Concept, Port Brewing, and so many other craft favorites. Creative director Julie White has happened to design the 15th anniversary Stone Brewings book, as well as over 20 books for the Brewers Association. In fact, the Brewers Association says Julie is authentic, creative, reliable, and hands down one of the best graphic designers they've worked with. So send them your brand and they'll send you back an original design that fits it or takes it to the next level, if that's what you're into. Hop on over to unitedwedrink.com slash FRW Studios to see what the buzz is about. And while you're at it, download FRW's Crash Course in Branding for tips and tricks of the trade. Everyone who downloads the PDF will automatically qualify for a chance to win a custom design for your next project. Now that's something to drink about. You make the beer taste good. FRW Studios makes it look good. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts, employers, co-workers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Happy hour, more like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast that records so early now that drinking doesn't seem socially acceptable. Welcome to United We Drink, right here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mikey Revich, and I'm overly caffeinated, but still strangely tired, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First up is a man who forgets recording dates more often than there is un- an unwatchable cast on SNL. It's Phil Palmisano. Yep, I totally forgot about this one. <laughs> thanks for that. But thanks for pulling it together. I, I try. And you were the one who wanted to record it this time. Yes, and I picked the date as well, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Calendars I- are my friend. <laughs> My other co-host was recently featured on the Good Beer Hunting podcast and will soon be leaving the show to have his own G- GBH exclusive show entitled Slight Lines with Kaiser and Codner. His name is Joel Codner. I am done with you fucking amateurs. <laughs> that was a really good episode, by the way. I was talking to Mike about it before he jumped on the Skype call. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I was afraid to listen to it, you know, because it gets to a hell of a lot more people than this one. And I was like, fuck, did I say anything? And like there were a couple things I got really nervous about that I was hoping wouldn't be misconstrued. I thought it was quality. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I'll be listening uh, this week on uh, like commutes to and from work. Yeah, some friend you are. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just drop everything on my Saturday. That's what I did. I just locked myself in the bathroom and listened to it on my headphones. It was a nice break from the kid. If you're ever going to listen to me on a show, the bathroom is the place to do it. I figured that's how you'd want me to listen. Just, you know, sit on the toilet. Backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks everyone for uh, listening to the show and any new folks who have decided to come over to us from the Good Beer Hunting Podcast. We're sorry. Gentlemen, on this fine early morning that we're recording, is anyone drinking anything that is uh, uh, alcoholic? No. Coffee. <laughs> Ice water. I'm drinking coffee and New Ground Cafe Latte hard coffee. I saw that in Publix. How is that? I have not taken a sip yet. I'm going to right now. And while he's taking a sip, we'll fill the empty space of a podcast with Mike doing tasting notes. <laughs> it's very sweet. It's like it says that it has Dutch cream in it, so it yeah, it's very sweet. But it's not bad. I it doesn't taste boozy at all, so 
props to them on that. Riveting podcast material. <laughs> yeah. The GBH people have already left. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, guys and girls. All right. How about yeah. some news? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. So uh, one thing that Mike's not partaking in this year is dry January, apparently. But two of the large beer manufacturers around the world, I should say, are pushing you and your friends to take a dry January. Heineken is pushing dry January ads with their 0.0% Heineken. And Miller came out this past week and uh, or two weeks ago, actually, and said Miller 64 64 calorie, 2.8% ABV. Don't do a dry January, do a dryish January. And on top of that, are offering a cash back on a 24 pack of Miller 64. With dry January, sober October, and all these other months sort of gaining in popularity within society and specific generations, how do the two of you desire your new year to be dry, dryish, or just damn wet? Michael, I'll start with you since you're already drinking. I I don't I don't get these things. The um, sober October, which was just two months ago, and now dry January. It's like people want to sandwich the holidays uh, with just uh, like not drinking at all in order to compensate. Uh, so I'm I'm more of the in the discussion that. Moderation should be the key, not necessarily abstinence. Just watch what you, what you're drinking all the time. Uh, don't go f- crazy to where you feel the need to just take a whole month off. It's not really going to help in the whole scheme of things if you just get back into doing the same thing that you were doing prior to that. You might lose a few pounds through that month, but you'll probably gain them right back if you fall back into old habits. So I... I I don't buy into this. It's it's a marketing gimmick thing. I get it. And that's why you are seeing companies cater towards it. But overall, I, I think it's a bunch of bullshit. I think it's not good for your health, uh, which I think moderation is. And thing that a thing that we talked about a number of episodes ago. Uh, I would just, well, I would agree with the point on moderation. I would disagree with uh, October was two months ago. That was three months ago. Uh <laughs> But uh, it's January, Mike. Yeah. And we've had all of November and December between that, too. <laughs> Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. Oh, Christ. <laughs> we're getting back to this. Yeah. And like I said on the uh, mental health episode, when we were talking about things to keep us on track and all that shit, I, you know, I'm not good with consistency. So for me to try and take an entire month end to end. I just, I don't see it happening, at least for me personally. I don't have a problem with anyone doing it. I, I'm not going to tell people how to live their lives. I think they, you know, if it's something they want to do, they should try it. You know, I, I, I still agree with moderation. To answer Phil's question, uh, dry or wet, I, I'm somewhere in the moist area. Uh, I maybe mildly moist. Have Yeah. I mean, I maybe have one, maybe damp is the right word. I, uh, have maybe one drink a night max these days just for being so busy and, and needing to be alert and focused. Um, I'm just, I'm not drinking too much. So it's not even a January thing. It's not a resolution thing. I just, it's just not a thing at all for me right now. I, this is the downside with allowing you guys to answer first is, and I feel good about this episode already because we're on the same page because I was going to say moderately moist and both of you said moderation and moist. So I think here at uh, United We Drink, we advertise a moderately moist march moving <laughs> forward. How about that? I think that's a new catchphrase or a new tagline for the podcast. United We there Drink, we moderately moist. Mm, yummy. Maybe a new t All right, next piece of news. <laughs> Santa Rosa and Windsor, California brewer Russian River recently announced that a limited run of their highly sought-after triple IPA, Pliny the Younger, would be released in bottles this year at the Pliny the Younger release. This February celebration of beer was typically draft only, but due to quote-unquote excess capacity, the beer can now be released into a bottle. It's going to be four bottles per person in their 510 milliliter classic style bottle. 
my question to you guys is, is this a new trend where we're going to start to see brewers looking to further capitalize off of items that were draft only in the past? Or do you think that this truly is just, you know, Russian River trying to get this beer out um, to the masses that have wanted to try it, like myself in particular? And finally, are you excited? I'm very excited. When I saw that news, I was like, holy shit, we can't even get Pliny here or Pliny the Elder here. So to see that they're finally packaging younger, when you look at the allotments, I think it was like two per person or something like that. And I can't imagine anyone getting their hands on it unless they're a serious trader. I, I can't imagine being myself at least trying to trade for it. Like I have nothing to offer to give anyone that fucking you know get uh, get that fucking beer. So uh, I I think it's a cool idea that they're finally doing this. Um, I don't entirely know the motivations behind it, but God bless them for doing it. And um, what I'd be I'm having a hard time thinking of like some others that you know maybe could do this, but I'm all for it, man. Bring it on. I don't think that there's been a a highly sought after beer like this that has remained draft only for so long um that that makes this extremely unique to me and i think uh buzzworthy in the sense i've never had younger before i think we talked about this a few episodes ago uh how we have all said i think when we were talking bucket lists and i i had the the pleasure of when i was living in philadelphia to have easy access to Pliny the Elder and Blind Pig on draft. Um, a number of bars had them there because they distribute there, but they don't distribute bottles of their IPAs, only the Belgians and the Sours. Uh, so, like, and I avoided uh, younger events all over the city, like the plague, because they were usually madhouses. A uh, few places would get a keg of younger and it would be hundreds of people and i'm as we've said before not into all of that uh, anymore so this sounds like a great option for people who have never been able to have it but with the limits on how many bottles it's it's going to be tough for people like us to be able to maybe have that opportunity to try it i'm not into trading anymore so like you said joel i, I have nothing to offer for it I'm super excited to start, and and I, I agree with both of you guys where, Mike, you said, I don't think that there's another draft beer right now that has this, because a, a majority of the breweries, if they do have that whale of a um, beer, they're already bottling it or canning it or packaging it in some sort. I, I love this. I think it truly is a reflection of excess capacity as well as increased efficiencies, throughout the brewing process since Younger has been released, where Russian River and their brewery team and family believe that that beer can be packaged and hopefully consumed within a certain window of time, which in the past was part of the reason why it was draft only. So kudos to those guys for putting that out there. I'm super excited about that. I would love to try and find a bottle. So if anybody's listening to this over in California and they would be willing to, uh, you know, get us a bottle. I'm sure the three of us would be forever in debt to you. Super fan for life. I also feel like it's kind of a unintentional shot at some of the shittier packaged beer that's just being released everywhere all over the place. Like it seems like everyone has triple can releases every weekend and it's usually a bunch of shelf unstable bullshit. And all of a sudden it's like, here, look at this. Like, you know, like you look at that picture of the bottle and it's practically glowing with like fucking heart music. It's, you know, it, it's, it's majestic. Like it, it's, it goes back to the days of like, remember when a release was a really big deal? Yeah. This, that's what this is. This is a huge deal. This is, yeah. I, in my opinion, there's not a lot of things I would wait in line for right now. I'd wait in line for this. I was going to wait in line just for a draft pour of this, a little less a bottle. I'd Still, it's a bucket list for me. I'd, I want to make that trip. Uh, Joel, I, going back to the Good Beer Hunting podcast that you were just on, you and Michael talked about IP and building a brand. It's funny because Pliny the Younger never had an image behind it, really. It was just sort of a tap sticker, and now there's a brand that was already built and they had to take that brand and put it onto a bottle and take it one step further, almost in reverse, where typically the bottle creates the brand or the story. That bottle is fantastically well-designed. Russian River did a fantastic job with that. 
it looks beautiful. I know I'm saying fantastic way too many times. <laughs> no, I, it's great. I, I think that the, this is also crazy in the fact that in the time that we're in right now, where it's hazy IPAs and tall boy cans, we have a pretty clear triple IPA, like West Coast IPA, going into a 16.9 ounce bottle that is going to be one of the most sought after things. What a crazy world we live in. All right. So our main topic today is not the debating how many months uh, October was uh, from now, as uh, Joel has put out there on Twitter, but we're going to talk about industry projections for the year 2020. I think practically every year in the beverage industry, something comes on to the, the scene that probably people didn't expect or did completely expect and just takes the whole industry by storm. Hazy IPAs was a thing a couple years ago. You had black IPAs. I remember even further back than that. Cascadian uh, Dark. Please yeah, use the right terminology. Sorry. Sorry, Phil and uh, Garrett Oliver. Um, but the, the trends changed. Last year was probably the year of the hard seltzer, right, Phil? Absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about things that we think might be the next it or just a very strong thing that might happen within the industry, whether that be based on evidence, conjecture, or just talking out of our ass. Um, uh, we'll kick things off with, with Phil because you really have your finger on the pulse of a lot of things. You read a lot of uh, uh, industry news and publications that are really not available to the, the common consumer. So what's something that you are seeing out there? Well, we'll start with seltzers because 2019 really was the year of the seltzer. And I think seltzer is going to continue to thrive and disrupt the beverage industry as a whole. So liquor, wine, beverage, uh, beer beverage um, as a whole. That said, I think we're going to see a completely, A, I think seltzer is going to segment itself off they're going seltzer is going to start very much so competing within itself and part of that is going to be pricing so i think that there's going to be this pricing forefront battle we're seeing it already where bud light's trying to really come in with their seltzer and sort of push down natty's trying to push down price so how white claw truly wild basin henry's all those guys come out and actually compete against that is going to be interesting and something i'm going to pay attention to I also believe that out of this price war, we're going to start to see segments of the business, specifically within Seltzer, sort of define themselves. So you'll have a entry level or a domestic lager category, as I'm using air quotes, and then a craft category, better ingredients, uh, all natural, less chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. I also think we're going to start to see the low calorie, which we've already talked about multiple times where we're going to start to see some of these companies really cut down below 100 calories, carb conscious, even more so than what they were in 2019. What do you guys think about seltzers? We won't talk about them too long because I know neither of you really care about the segment. Well, I'm drinking water, so it's not that far off from seltzer. Uh, nope. Just add some <laughs> bubbles and some booze. A little uh, extract too. No, I, I agree with a lot of that, uh, especially the seltzer part. When I was in Chicago almost a month ago now, it... I was at this dive bar for a company Christmas party, and at one point I looked around, and every single person either had a light lager or a seltzer can in their hand. I mean, I, I it's not an exaggeration whatsoever. And this is a place, you know, I don't think there were too many craft beer geeks in the crowd, but they had zombie dust. They had Union Jack. I was drinking that. I was drinking Malort. And everyone else was seltzer and light lager. So I think it's definitely, you know, I think the seltzer train is going to keep rolling. I think one thing, at least me personally, because I'm completely shitty at predicting what's coming next. I don't, I'm, I'm not a trend person. I don't follow a lot of stuff. I don't, I'm not good at predicting anything. But one You thing follow I'm, a lot of stuff. I follow stuff, but I don't give a shit about most of it, and I'm just like, I don't know what the next big beer is going to be, you know, I'm not, and even if when the next big beer comes, like, it's going to take me a while to realize, like, holy shit, this is a big thing, like, I, I just, I'm in a brew pub, I'm not distributing, I don't, you know, you know what I mean, like, I don't, 
I don't have to follow that so closely and, and tack onto it as, as, as much as some other breweries need to, you know, so at least, so one thing that I feel at least confident in saying, and I don't mean to be the downer is closures. I think we're going to see a lot of closures this year. We already have, I started keeping a notepad. I, like, I don't even know why I'm documenting it. I just feel like it's something to kind of pay attention to because we know there are a lot of people getting into this industry who have never been in this industry before. And I don't know if that's something they're paying attention to. And we know people personally that have recently closed. We know people personally that are on the brink of closing. Uh, I was talking to somebody recently on Twitter from a distributor who they said something like a bunch of their breweries and their portfolio are telling them this is a make or break year. And like I said, I don't think seltzer's going anywhere, so that's got to be cutting into the business as well as just the oversaturation, the complete lack of emphasis on quality and consistency and shelf stability. I, I think a lot of these things are factoring into, uh, you know, not good things for various breweries out there. I, I think that that's a pretty good prediction. I We've seen some... Uh, br- uh, some breweries down here in Florida that have announced closures or are have already closed in the past couple months, and that's at the beginning of season, uh, the the biz- the quote unquote busiest time of the year down here in Florida. And if they're closing before, like at the start of that, then things must be pretty bad. And I mean, just from talking to people in the industry down here i know that a lot of people are down uh, especially even just local brands who you would think oh the local brands they they're always going to have their their backyard and they're going to always have growth but they're really not the ones who seem to have growth to me it, it seems to be those uh regional breweries that uh, maybe not the top ones but the ones a few spots down that seem to be having the most growth I mean, we've seen uh, Duvel Mortgat uh, grow. We've seen Canarchy grow. I think New Belgium and uh, Sierra Nevada grew. I think Sierra Nevada was down or even a year or so ago. Phil probably knows better than I do on that. But uh, we're seeing these regional guys growing again, and they're they're taking spots from quote unquote locals because they have. They have more feet on the ground, probably. They ha- might have better deals for the retailer, better deals, better pricing for the consumer. So, yeah, your your little local guy, though they might be local, might not be doing so hot in their own backyard. I had my semi-annual ABT supervised inventory count the other day because it was the first of the year. And my inventory is down 40% from last year's numbers. That's not because of slow sales or anything. In our case, that's because we've just drastically cut back on production intentionally um, as sort of just a, a, a you know budget cost savings thing. And, and we're good on beer, but the ABT guy happened to take a call from a neighboring brewery and you know they were kind of shooting the shit. And he's like, oh, no, I'm over here at this brewery and, and they're down, you're down, everyone's down. Like he, he was like naming everyone locally that's down and – Probably not a cool move to be spreading everyone's business, you know, but um, it just seemed like beer is not doing well overall in, in certain ways. I think beer, so Mike, to answer your question, you're seeing we're still, for the most part, a flat industry. So a lot of the regional guys, you are seeing some growth, 2 to 5% growth um, or negative trends, but really high dollar value still uh, and large volumes and negative two to, you know, negative three percent. The local regional guys, you're still seeing some of those successes. Unfortunately, they're not documented as frequently as the larger players. And that actually, this was one of my top projections beer wise for the year was not that closures outpace openings, because we've all known that openings continuously outpace opening or Openings continuously outpace closings on an annual basis. I think this is the year that closures take more of the wrath of attention. And the news is going to start covering this a little bit more. And the Brewers Association is going to put more emphasis on this. And 
now closures are coming to the forefront, even though they're not outpacing openings. And people are now paying more attention to, ooh, this isn't an industry that I can just jump into because I have a retirement fund and I've never brewed a batch of beer before or I had a Mr. Beer kit and I'm going to open up a brewery. I, I think it's going to be, it's setting the table for the potential of openings and closures balancing themselves out in the upcoming years, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen a number of like bigger name breweries or legacy breweries, if you will, uh, close over this past year. I, I One that I, I know jumps out at me right away off the top of my head while I'm looking up others was Bridgeport in Portland. This was a, a longtime brewery that decided to close its doors last year. Um, I, I think we, Portland had a number of brewery closures in 2019. Um, oh yeah, Lompoc uh, closed. A Rock Bottom closed. Um, I think there's more, uh, but yeah, it's it's a crazy world out there. And I think, especially if there's some bigger names that people know, whether nationally or regionally, it is going to get more attention with those closures that will, like you said, uh, come to the forefront. Yeah, and we've all talked about it. There's going to be a lot of used equipment on the market, and somebody can pick it up and expand relatively easily. We've been talking about that for over six years, and we're just now starting to see some of this shakeout. So it, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely something to pay attention to in uh, 2020 and beyond. What else are you seeing, Phil? Uh, thinking so that you're going to see sort of covering or tailing off of that. I think the Brewers Association is going to change the definition of what a craft brewery is again. once again. Um, and, and I think it's two pronged. One, you're seeing breweries or beverage companies, as a lot of companies are trying to sort of rebrand themselves. Beverage companies are not doing just beer anymore. They're doing craft beverages in general. So be it RTDs, ready to drink cocktails uh, with craft ingredients. Uh, seltzers, uh, CBD drinks, THC drinks, um, et cetera, et cetera, as, as regulation and, and federal law changes, I think the Brewers Association is going to have to come back and say, hey, not only are we, they've already started to embrace beverage from last year. Now, how far does this beverage encompass? And, and I think the Brewers Association is going to have to come back and look at that this year. And then in addition to that, Due to all of the acquisitions that have happened in the past few months, I think we're going to have to look at what craft beer is, not just from a United States-based level, but an international craft beer definition. And I think the Brewers Association is going to have to have a hard look inside because all of a sudden that percent share sort of starts dropping when you start taking some of these breweries out of the mix that <clears throat> have been internationally acquired within the past, you know, 365 days. Well, here's a serious question, and I don't mean this in any sort of snarky way. Does it even really matter anymore? I think I it was, does. I was kind of going to go along the same lines. Like, I I don't want to come across as, as snarky or, or whatnot, but uh, I was actually having this discussion with my fiance a few days ago is like, I'm almost sick of using the term craft beer. Like if, if a person asks me what I do for a living, I say I work in the beer industry. I, I work for a brewery. I don't say craft brewery. I don't say I'm in the craft beer industry. It, it, it's the waters are getting kind of muddied out there as to, and the definitions being changed so often that I no longer really care about the definition of what a craft independent brewer really is. I mean, if we're now including cider in there and and the all the flavored malt beverages and CBD, CBD is considered part of this, Phil? I don't believe so right now. Oh, okay. I was using um, that as like beverage oh, okay. companies as what are could starting be. to look correct. Uh, gotcha. Um, eventually if you keep on including these like TH, like THC drinks and CBD drinks, like it, it really does become uh, a beverage industry over a brewing industry. And, um, like I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. If that's the way that the direction wants to go for the industry, um, you do you, um, but I, I'll just, I'm sticking to beer. I'll just keep saying that I am a beer person, a brewer, in the beer industry, um, and I work for a brewery who makes beer. Um, 
whether or not that changes, I don't, I don't know, but, um, yeah, this, this craft beer definition is really starting to wear on my nerves to where I just don't care anymore. I know there are people that do, but me personally, it's, it's not meaning a whole lot right now. I won't repeat my craft is not a synonym for quality rant, but what I will say is that I know there are lots of breweries out there really banking on the image that they're craft, they're independent, they're local, whatever it is, because it's it's saying, hey, we are something different than what you're used to, and that's fine. But I think in a world now where IPA means nothing, you know, I've seen purple IPAs with lactose and vanilla and pancakes and shit, so it doesn't, like, like, like no... Yeah, it's great as far as an innovation standpoint and creativity-wise when we're able to turn established styles into new things and different things and, and keep things interesting. But so many definitions for things have just completely gotten lost. I mean, people can't even agree on what sessionable means. I've seen cans of beer that say a sessionable 7%. So I don't feel like people are too caught up in definitions these days. And what's ironic about that is that for all of the lack of definition, it still seems like there are people out there who will still shit on macro as much as possible and defend craft, whatever that means. And it's like, at this point, the craft, independent, local, whatever it means, it, it's not that it has its own definition. It's just that it's it's saying we're not that. That That's all it really means to me at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for, keep in mind, we're still a very low percentage share of the beer category being in craft. And, and I think for the uneducated consumer, I was at a family gathering yesterday and I was talking to someone and they, I said, I worked for a brewery and they said, Oh, like Budweiser or Miller. And I said, well, we're a little bit smaller. Um, it's a, you know, technically it's a beverage company and we do seltzers and we do craft beer. And I threw the name out and I would say a third of the room has heard of one of the breweries that I represent. And there's still that uneducated consumer. So I do believe that the definition of craft brewery still exists and still is important because it is that point of differentiation that you guys are saying where that definition goes and grows. I'm not sure. And, and I think that that's something that the brewers association and keep in mind, we've talked about this on previous episodes. This is more of a conglomerate of like-minded individuals that get together and share best practices of business. That's really what the Brewers Association is. And they're there for support and trying to push for regulation and laws that benefit the craft brewery. So I think we're going to still can see, see this uh, evolution and growth of the definition and what a craft brewery is. But Joel brought up a really good point where slushy IPAs and hazy IPAs were sort of the trend last year when you take seltzer out of it. I think, and I'm curious to see where you guys think, I still think we're going to see the year of the slushy IPA, adjunct IPA. I think that vocal minority is going to become ever increasing larger. And, and I think that while the growth and the popularity and the buzz around these beers in particular are really popular, I think you're going to see the numbers and the dollar trends actually do the exact opposite. So popularity and growth with the hazy IPAs and the slushy IPAs and the vanilla pancake flavored IPAs over on one side, but really where the growth in the industry's coming from, light lagers, uh, classic styles, pale ales, hefeweizens, uh, traditionally brewed IPAs, etc. That's really what's going to drive this industry in 2020. And I think we're going to start to see a reboot of uh, craft beer again. Uh, that would be awesome to see such a thing. Uh, Sidetrack real quick is you, you talk about the these fruited IPAs, slushy IPAs. Like we had a trend of that a couple years ago with fruit going into IPAs. 
I mean, grapefruit sculpin was like one of the biggest, hottest things at one point. And then people started making fun of that and making fun of putting fruit in IPAs. But then if it's a hazy IPA and it tastes like fucking juice, then it seems like it's it's fine. It's dandy. Even if it's a little sour, too, that's that's great. I mean, I'd, I don't think that we're going to see stuff like that go away. I would love it if, if you're right here, Phil, and said that we're going to see uh, on a whole the uh, the push towards more traditional styles because let, let, let's really look at this these hazy IPAs pastry stouts overfruited sours stuff like that that is such a small niche but it is a very vocal minority of uh, consumers out there they're the ones who are going and waiting in line they're the ones who are boosting uh, ratings on untapped uh, beer advocate, rape beer, things like that, getting the trade values up, uh, dollar values on the secondary selling market up on these things and get creating the hype around these breweries. And they account for just such a small amount of, of this overall scheme of things to where like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale still probably that beer alone outsells any of these other weird crazy subgenres that get all the hype by probably a lot and i i'd love to see see the truth in in that statement come forward i mean i know that like pale ale is always going to be there i know that allagash white is always going to be there those those beers will remain the same but i would love to see some of these other breweries go towards uh, making some of those styles too and and telling their consumer hey we're we're making we're making hazy ipas still but you know what we also really dig a brown ale we dig a mild a bitter um a saison something like that um something like that would really uh be a great trend that i would love to see and it's not only a very vocal minority but it's also a very promiscuous minority and there is no loyalty and like I said on GBH, if the market takes a dump or something, I mean, Christ, we're like on the brink of war here. Uh, by the time this episode drops, who knows if we'll be here. But, uh, you know, it, these things are going to become like serious luxury items if, if things economically go bad. I don't see people – I mean, if things Absolutely. go bad, I don't see breweries producing a lot of them because they're so fucking expensive to put together with – hot prices, vanilla prices. So, you know, I hope that's not what it comes to, to, you know, get this trend to go away. But I, I just, these are trend followers and sooner or later they're going to move on to the next thing. And that next thing might not even be beer. I, I like, I feel like people are just going to move on to the next thing. And I like, what happens if, you know, weed is recreational nationwide? I, you know, how, what kind of effect will that have on this? I I just I don't see disloyal people, you know, weathering the storm along with the rest of us. Well, that takes me to my last projection actually and that that was a great sort of transition there, Joel. I think the $24, $20 four pack is gone. I I really do, and I don't think that it has anything to do with the liquid or the beer or the hype that's around it, but I do believe we're in some shaky well first of all it's an election year which the economy is always sort of up and down during an election year but as we move into some unstable times which you talked about not to get political but you know war is a real thing or you know potential um global warming um and how that affects you know hop uh harvests and and malt harvesting i do believe that these these overpriced four packs or high price four packs do sort of see their way out. And I think single serve really shines and starts to really push in 2020 because beer will, this type of beer in particular, and barrel-aged beers in particular, will turn into more of the luxury item. So I think you're going to start to see more of the single serve 16-ounce cans or 19-ounce cans, 12-ounce cans that are a lower cost because you're only buying one instead of four. I, Let me, I, I see that and, trend sort of moving that way. And check this out. I think, shout out to Second Shift Brewing, Libby and Steve over there. I think they fired the first shot in that war because uh, they recently announced 
their collaboration with 608 Brewing Company. It's a peach and vanilla milkshake IPA. Four pack of tall boys, ten bucks. That's awesome. Shit. Fuck yeah. That's pretty awesome. Um, and that goes to show me... that this shit does not need to be as expensive as it is. So either some of these guys have no idea what they're doing or are purposely gouging people. Let me ask you guys this. A, a $20 four pack would, even though there's absolutely zero price change, does a $5 single can appeal to you more than a $20 four pack? Well, think about not that long ago when we were sitting in total wine debating about whether or not we wanted to pay for the four pack of 1050. Those cans yeah. were 450 each and then I think it was like 15 for the four pack and those were 12 ounce cans. So I like yeah a, a beer is, is 5 bucks everywhere in a, in a lot of the places. I mean I, I I'd love to go single serve. I mean that's I'm rarely buying a full pack of anything these days because there's so much beer out there. There's so much low quality beer out there. It's it's a huge, you know, financial risk for people to bet, you know, fifteen, twenty, twenty five dollars on a few beers that may be shit. Yeah. I I bought a six pack of a a beer from uh no longer craft brewery, uh by the definition, uh a month and a half ago. I didn't like it, and I still have three cans sitting in my my fridge, hoping to pawn them off on someone who comes over. Or and and I'm like, God damn it, that's that's twelve bucks down the drain for for me personally. It's just it, like maybe we are heading back to where we're building our own mixed six packs to try to uh, try new things and see what we like out of them. Uh, if we're going single serve, I believe the single serve actually plays more part in the brewery where you're going to walk into your local brewery that was selling their four packs and they're just going to have to start selling individual cans. And for me, I think that's great. I don't necessarily need four. I want to buy two. And then if it's good, I'll go back and I'll buy two more. Joel, do you you see anything else uh, going on potentially in this industry over the course of 2020? No, like I said, I'm I'm not very good at predicting the future, but based on some of the things I've seen, you know, what I said earlier about closures and shit, it's unfortunate, but I, I, I think we're going to see a bunch of that. And, you know, I'm really rooting for our friends out there, man. It's I know it's tough, but, uh, you know, style-wise, who the hell knows? It, it's been so crazy out there. Um, I, 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 I would really, you know, going back to the Pliny thing, I, I, would, I honestly can't think of, like, another draft-only beer that, could, I've been racking my brain on that the whole episode, right. trying to think. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I don't know if there is one. Um, but, you know, I like seeing stuff like that. I, I just, I don't know, man. I hope to see more coffee beer. More brown ales, goddammit. Hashtag team coffee beer. Hashtag brown ales or go fuck yourself. What about you, Phil? Anything uh, else you want to add on there? I honestly, sort of in, to sum up everything, I think quality rises to the top in 2020. I think when you look at people are going to be a little bit tighter with their wallets, potentially, they're going to go back to that brand that they know is quality and they know what they're getting. And they're, I think we're going to see less, less risks in 2020 and people are just going to go back to that old faithful. And I do think people, or at least breweries will start seeing more food on premise i feel like a lot of uh, brewery openings i've seen recently are definitely integrating a kitchen in some fashion everyone i talk to at our place you know and believe me we don't have a craft beer geek crowd by any stretch of the imagination we are a downtown city brew pub and we get people from all walks of life and they constantly praise us for having food as if it's some sort of anomaly like as if this is something new and it's it's not and and it's it's very like there's some amazing food trucks out there but it's very hard to rely on some of them they double book they break down they you know if if it's barbecue that night maybe you don't feel like having barbecue so you're shit out of luck um you know with with so many dietary restrictions you know i, I think it, it's easier for a, a restaurant type or you know a brew pub basically to you know control their own menu and try to offer something for everyone rather than be limited to certain styles of food and and i think it's just what people want i, I think people are going to want to sit down and enjoy a beer and have something to eat with it and not sit like like i've always said you know 
have to wait 45 minutes in the rain outside for a $14 hamburger with no sides. Like it's at this point and people like still don't understand about licensing and like whether you can have food or not. So they just, they come into a brewery and they're like, what what do you mean you don't have food? Like why, why is there no food here? You're serving drinks. Why is there no food? So, you know, that's part of the education of the consumer. And I think it just makes sense that if, if you've got people there, give them stuff to keep them there. I am so all for brew pub, uh, having food as an option. When I was when I was in Philly, I loved how many places had uh, food available. Uh, the Iron Hill Brewing has built a chain uh, off of the brew pub concept with every one of their locations brewing beer on site and having a big full kitchen with amazing food in it. And I mean, there's other chains like that, like Rock Bottom and Gordon Biersch um, that, uh, are doing similar things, but I think that locals could, uh, build up their own thing. We had Bruzy down here for a while with two locations, uh, doing, uh, beer and food. Uh, I, I'd love seeing that anytime I am looking up a brewery to go visit, I'm like food. Yes. That, that puts you higher on my list of wanting to go to. If I have the option of having lunch or dinner there as well, or just a snack while, having uh, a couple beers. All right. So anyone else have anything to add to our industry projections? No. No. So, but to recap, seltzers continue to surge and disrupt. The Brewers Association will change, continuously change their definition of what a craft brewery is. Slushy IPAs and hazy IPAs will still hold the spotlight in 2020, but numbers and trends will align with more classic style beers. Openings will still outpace closures, but closures will get more attention in the news. And the $24 four-pack is dead. Single serve rises to the victorious win. And then finally, more food and breweries. That is what us at United United We Drink believe is going to happen in 2020. It'll be interesting in a year to look back and see how well we did with these (laughs) projections. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, uh, I think that does it here on the main topic. I think it's time to move into last calls where we give each other a little bit of time to be able to voice our concerns or just bring to light something uninterrupted, unopposed. Um, Let's start with you, Phil. I want to recommend or sort of talk about this week my acupressure mat, uh, which I picked up for a $15 on a uh, online uh, store um, without mentioning a name. Um, It's amazing. I've been working out very, very hard, um, as you can probably see from my five tweets in the past two weeks. Um, And the only thing that has really helped my lower back pain is this acupressure mat, which is almost like a torture device. Um, little spiky plastic pegs, um, but it's great. I highly recommend it. If anybody has any questions, get at me uh, now at Twitter. Joel? Oh, Christ. Um, please know that was not an ad, everyone. <laughs> not an ad. Not not a sponsor of the show. Oh, shit. Um, I, fuck, man. I don't know. It's too All right, you're done. No, no, it's uh, <laughs> it's fucking early here, man. We never usually record this early, so I'm, I'm a little foggy. But uh, yeah, have happy New Year. Have enjoy Arby's. Okay. Um, I just wanted to uh, say one quick thing because I saw this being a point of uh, conversation or contention, whichever you want, on beer Twitter a few days back, um, with uh, calling out breweries in a public setting such as social media for something that you don't like about them. Um, there's there's two different things going on here. Whether you dislike something because of your personal taste, that's one thing. Uh, but if there's actually something wrong that you need to bring to light to a brewery, uh, like a problem with the beer or a problem with the packaging, um, or being treated wrong by a, an employee. I feel like this is something that you should be reaching out to privately, uh, a company to get resolved, hopefully, uh, between the two of you. 
Um, I, I myself have had some issues with companies recently, like wrong orders or being double charged for things. And I could very easily go online and bash them, uh, to try to get actions done. But I decided to try to contact them, uh, first and see what could be worked out. And lo and behold, things got worked out. And I I think that that is a good way of going about things, uh, in just, being nice like I, I don't think that you need to put a company on on fire on notice just because of something like that unless they maybe fail to respond to you and then as for the case of uh just not liking something because of your own personal taste i guess it's debatable on whether or not you can go out there and say something it's your right to be able to not like something but it does seem uh, counterintuitive to be like i don't I don't like beers like this, so you shouldn't either. Uh, that's the way it kind of comes across when someone very much could like said thing. So uh, I don't know. I just I, I feel like being negative for the sake of being negative doesn't need to have it as much of a place in uh, our culture. And I think we've talked about that in the past and just like to reiterate it. I feel attacked. <laughs> Always. No, I, I know what you're saying. I was actually in on that whole debate and I was like, that's fucking ridiculous. I saw what you said, yeah. Like, people are, oh, I'm going to start tagging breweries that make not good. Like, what, what are they going to do? Change the recipe just for you? Yeah. Is that really worth your time to be going out and doing that? I'm sure everyone who does that has way better things they could be doing. All right. Um, plugs. Joel, you want to plug anything? Uh, yeah, I'd like to plug the uh, Twitter poll I put out 40 minutes ago. Uh, Mike is out. Which will be closed by the time that this episode airs. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mike is outvoted 80.5% vote for three months ago, uh, October, uh, only to uh, two months ago, 19.5%. I think that's a landslide victory. Phil? I just voted. Uh, I'm on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> at Dos Birigos, D-O-S-B-E-E-R-I-G-O-S. Um, and you can also still find me on LinkedIn. MySpace, it was a New Year's resolution. I had to get rid of it. I was using it way too much. I, I had too many friends. It, it was a downward spiral socially for me. So no more MySpace, guys. Oh, my God. You're going to drop out of someone's top eight. I know. Sorry, Tom. It was it was a hard decision, but I had to get rid of it. But I got Twitter. So much better. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Loves Beer. You can follow the podcast uh, on Twitter at United We Drink, on Instagram at United We Drink Pod, our website's unitedwedrink.com. And you can subscribe to the show on practically any of the major uh, podcast apps out there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, practically anywhere fine podcasts are found. You can subscribe to the show for new episodes every Thursday. Uh, Next week we are, or sorry, next week we'll be back with a mini episode, but the next main topic for our show in two weeks, we'll be talking about distribution. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. Um... So uh, in the meantime, we'll see you guys then. Go buy a shirt, sticker, button at unitedwedrink.com slash store. Uh, We'll see you next week for a mini episode and then back here again in two weeks for the main episode. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Hopefully Joel was recording the shower comment. Nope. Damn it.